Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here with Business, The Law and You. And we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Reviews. This one is Being Flexible as an Entrepreneur. We're also talking with Christina about some of those more innovative products that are happening at the moment. But right now, we're going to have a chat with uh, Greg Kerr from Effective Workplace, and we're going to talk about dealing with issues around domestic violence in the workplace. Good afternoon, uh, Greg. Julian. Well, uh, I mean, you've been here before, and uh, it's good to have you back. And uh, (laughs) another interesting show, because we we hear interesting uh, a lot about the prevalence and serious impact of family and domestic violence, but... Can domestic violence also be a workplace issue? Yes, Julian, I I think that's certainly true. While it's not primarily a workplace or a work-related issue, it's still an issue that employers need to be prepared to deal with. And importantly, there's no one-size-fits-all response, and I think that makes it um, perhaps more difficult to deal with. Obviously, domestic violence can have a significant impact in the workplace, and that's things like absenteeism, Um, poor performance, decreased productivity, uh, and potentially also disruption in the workplace. Um, We've all heard the the pretty awful statistics about death or serious injury, and that's usually involving women as the victims, and we've all, all heard the really horrifying news reports about individual cases. One in three women experience physical and sexual violence at the hands of someone known to them. However, we should also remember, and this is particularly relevant in the workplace as well, that violence is not simply physical, but often involves emotional and mental abuse. And men are also victims, although not as often as women. As far as the workplace is concerned, a recent survey found that 48% of the respondents who had experienced domestic violence disclosed it to their employers. But concerningly, only 10% found that the employer's response was helpful. Mm. So I think as employers, generally speaking, we need to do better. Mm. Um, The other thing is that there is a growing focus on domestic violence in terms of workplace regulation. So, for example, the current Fair Work Commission review of all modern awards, um, the ACTU has made an application for the insertion of a provision in all modern awards Uh, allowing employers suffering from domestic violence to take up to 10 days leave per year to deal with matters connected to their situation. Mm. And that's currently being dealt with by a full bench of the Commission. And also a number of organisations, Qantas is one example, uh, have included additional leave for victims of domestic violence among the other benefits in their enterprise agreements. Um, On the other hand, some organisations have not given additional leave but have extended the availability or access to personal and carers' leave to people who are suffering from or who are looking after people who are suffering from domestic violence. So there there is a fair bit of development in the space and there will be more to come. So how would an employer be likely to become aware that an employee was subject to family or domestic violence? Uh, employees sometimes voluntarily disclose their situation to an employer or a supervisor, uh, and that actually might happen more frequently than we generally imagine, I think. 
But perhaps more commonly, an employee may disclose that she or he is a victim of domestic violence in the context of a, uh, a manager dealing with poor performance or absenteeism or some other mm. uh, problem in the workplace. It, I think it's important to remember that disclosure is often a very traumatic experience for victims and employees can feel humiliated or perhaps even stigmatised by having to disclose that they are victims, and that's perhaps why it doesn't get disclosed uh, as often as you might hope. But I think it's important in this space for employers and supervisors to remember that whether or not an employee discloses is a choice for the employee alone. Hmm. It's up to them, and they shouldn't be forced. They shouldn't be pushed, um, nor should the employer turn detective or leap to conclusions, um, then that, that's an important thing. It, it's, it's a personal choice. Mm. However, as in any situation where a manager is dealing with a decline in performance or an emerging problem of, say, absenteeism, the manager does need to ask the employee whether they want to put forward any reasons or if they have an explanation for what's going on. Um, while it's important to do that with any employee, it's perhaps particularly employee important where a usually good employee is exhibiting some sort of decline or mm, poor performance mm, mm. for no apparent reason. Um, the other thing that I would note is that most supervisors have little experience in dealing with this sort of situation and it can be stressful for them as well and they can find themselves out of their depth fairly quickly in terms of how do I respond to this. Mm. And I think having a workplace policy can make it easier for employees to disclose and giving them confidence that they will be respected and supported, as well as providing guidelines on how such situations will be managed. And training for managers and supervisors, I think, is also an important um, option. So you've mentioned there's a big lack of expertise there and people, uh, managers, are not necessarily taking the right response. What approach should employers adopt to help them support an employee who is dealing with domestic violence? Mm. It, it can be a difficult one, but I think there are a few things that are worth stressing. First up, as I've mentioned, this is primarily a personal matter for the employee and it's the employee's responsibility, not the employer's, to deal with it while balancing their work requirements and complying with appropriate workplace norms. The employer's role is limited to providing reasonable support to allow the employee the space to deal with it, but it's still important that the employee is supported by the employer and not just given the brush off and said, sort it yourself. The second thing I think it's really important to be aware that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to these situations because people's personal circumstances and their personalities differ so much. So it's important for an employer to be prepared to think laterally in consultation with and guided by the employee. There might be a range of responses that's important, not just one, or the employee may not want anything done at this stage. Mm. So that's important. Following from that, I think it's important to ask the employee what they need to help them deal with the situation and listen to them. Uh, don't just assume that they need to take leave, for instance. While that may be the case, it may also be that coming to work is their best way to avoid the risk or get away from violence. So 
B, think laterally. Obviously, it's important to preserve the individual's dignity, going back to what I said earlier about the trauma of disclosing, and be aware of the significant impact that being a victim may have on the individual's perception of their self-worth. Avoid stigmatising or patronising the victim and telling them what they should do. Um, The other thing, I think, is that this goes back to the uh, extent of the the sort of coverage in the news and the media about domestic violence, don't automatically leap to a worst-case scenario of violence spilling into the workplace. It may be necessary in some cases to consider whether there's a real risk of a, a perpetrator coming to the workplace and causing disruption. It may not necessarily be violence. It could be just a scene. Mm. And what's the appropriate way to eliminate or minimise and control that risk and ensure safety in the workplace. So, a couple of things that you can think of. First up, this is really just a general privacy matter, but importantly, staff, particularly reception frontline staff, should know that they must not give out personal information about any staff member, especially residential or home addresses or whereabouts. Um, it may be necessary to make arrangements for changes to hours or shifts, um, work location, or enabling people to work from home. Um, being flexible so that the employee can go to a, a court, go to see their lawyer, uh, see the police, what have you. They, these things need time away from the workplace. One other thing that I think is worth thinking about is changing the phone extension or email address of the employee, um, or perhaps even screening incoming phone calls and emails so the person is protected and the perpetrator can't get to them, because that's one of the big things that, that does happen. So so are there any sources of assistance that employers can call on if they're dealing with a family or domestic violence situation in their workplace? Yeah, there are a few around, Julian. Um, probably the best-known organisation in the field is White Ribbon Australia, mm-hmm. Um, But there are some other useful sources of information, including the Domestic Violence Resource Centre, Victoria, and also a mob called 1800 Respect. It's a catchy name, but they've got some very useful stuff on their website, and that includes advice for employers, supervisors and co-workers in how to deal with a, a colleague who's experiencing domestic violence. And I believe there's a seminar coming up next week. There is indeed, Julian. The Newcastle branch of the Industrial Relations Society is putting on a workshop uh, on Thursday the 27th of April, that's uh, today week, um, starting at 3.30pm, going to about 5.30pm, and that'll be on at Level 7 of the Spark Hillmore building in Wharf Road, Newcastle West. If um, any of your listeners are interested in coming along to that, it'll be a very worthwhile uh, panel presentation. Um, and they can register and book tickets by going to Sticky Tickets. That's the W's, stickytickets.com.au. And if they just search on IRS Newcastle, it should come up. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time again, Craig. Very, very important subject, uh, and uh, we'll obviously talk to you again another time. Thank you very much, Julian. Good to talk to you again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Greg Kerr there with uh, that very, very important subject, dealing with issues around domestic violence. Time to pop over to Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. 
Good afternoon, Julian. How are you on this sunny day? I'm very well, thank you. And we're just going to have a quick session on some innovative products, uh, talking about water. Yes. So the World Health Organisation has actually said that one in ten people lack access to safe water. And water is on the the global goals to have clear water um, and sanitation around the world. And if you think back to um, Star Wars, Luke Skywalker's family actually farmed moisture from the air using something called vaporators. Mm. Well, what's happening now um, at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Boston, they're using a technology um, that may have the same kind of principle. They They call it metal organic frameworks and they're, pow- they're powered by natural sunlight and what happens is they use a network of metal and organic molecules that trap water vapor um, and then they release the heat or release use it's released using the energy from the sun they believe that they can actually that one kilogram of this material can harvest about 2.8 liters of water a day wow. um, at relative humidity levels which are as low as 20 percent so just imagine what they might have got it here over over the summer period mm. um, which is really interesting for te- for harvesting water particularly in desert regions um, and making water more available you know what that does to open up the economy people living in in arid and, and dried out regions is is you know, quite remarkable as well. Yeah. The other thing that, that has come out this week is a, um, around packaging. So there's a, a company um, that have created a, a water bubble that's edible and it's made out of seaweed extract. They believe it's the, it's the first um, lead into packaging greatly being reduced because they can create this packaging bubble out of this seaweed. What they're using it at the moment on is water. You can tear a little hole in it, sip the water, you can take the, take the, um, the bubble hole um, and drink this little bubble of water. It's called Uho or double O-H-O. Uh, if anybody wants to Google it and have a look at it, but it's quite remarkable wow. um, how it's made out of this seaweed and, and it's a storing storage unit for packaging. It's great that we can resolve some of these issues, uh, particularly like water shortage, with uh, things that have come out of uh, science fiction movies. Uh, and haven't we said that before, what comes <laughs> out of science fiction? Also, the X Prize have got a... So they often do... Um, they pick a global issue and they offer a prize factor around that issue... So they've got one at the moment called Water Abundance X Prize. They've offered a $1.75 million prize to somebody who can help alleviate the global water crisis and people entering teams. um, And, you know, they have quite revolutionary results from some of the X Prize uh, problem-solving solutions that come, yeah. Great. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much. Have a great week and we'll have a chat with you again next week. Look forward to it. You have a great week too. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with uh, what an interesting concept, creating water. Just got time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips. Uh, This one, as we said earlier, maintain your entrepreneurial passion by being flexible. Most of us think of entrepreneurs as passionate professionals who have fire in their belly. But it's hard to maintain that level of dedication no matter how passionate you are And research has shown that entrepreneurs' enthusiasm for their projects can fade out over time. One way to prevent this is to avoid sticking to a plan. Strictly adhering to your business plan is a recipe for disengagement. You need to be flexible and agile as you learn more about your product, your customers and the market. This isn't just good for your business. It keeps you excited about your project and you continue to involve it. By changing and refining your ideas, you can make significant progress and build your confidence. 
rather than feeling misunderstood by the outside world. You will gain a sense of control over events as they unfold, which will counter any decrease in passion over time. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program, particularly we've looked at dealing with the issues around domestic violence that can trickle into the workplace there and uh, some important innovative products. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next minute, next week, we'll have a minute on innovation with Christina and, of course, we'll have some more business and legal news and views that may affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You this time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Conrad Hilton once said, success seems to be connected with action. Successful people keep moving. They make mistakes, but they don't quit. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.